Well, we have gathered to meet God. And uh, we're not here to hear just someone talk, nor are we here just to make our appearance on Sunday and uh, sit in our seats. We're here to worship God, and that's what it's about. We're here to meet Him and uh, honor Him by uh, looking at His Word. Everything is, should be focused on that. And so, it's a privilege, again, to be here. We're out of 1 John chapter 5, and this week we're actually in verse 13 and 14. So why don't we rise in honor of our great God's Word. Let's read this little section. See what He has for us today. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is a confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Father, we thank You that according to Your Scripture, we're coming to You in prayer right now as a congregation. And You have a great promise. If we're praying in Your will, if we're praying in the very name of Your Son and the very authority of who He is and what is consistent with who Jesus Christ is, we bring our prayer to You that this morning we know it would be in Your will that we would be able to understand Your Word a little bit more than we had before we came in here. That we would know You, who You are, and what You're about and what You have for our own lives individually and as a church this morning because of Your Word and Your Spirit. And we ask that because we know that that is in Your will. And we know that You will answer that without a doubt. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. A couple of verses today. You'd think for once we'd get out of here on time. (laughs) There was a man standing by the roadside and a man came... uh, by him, and this man was lost. He didn't know where he was going. He knew where he was supposed to go, but he couldn't find his way. And uh, he said, hey, do you know how to get to town? You know, I don't know. I don't know where, where I'm going here. You know, the road here is, is all messed up. And uh, the man that was sitting there said, no, sir, I, I don't. And the man said, well, uh, do, you, do you know where High Street is at? And he goes, no, sir, I don't. Well, this road that I'm on right now, where does it go? I don't know. And he said, oh, you don't even know the name of this street? He said, I don't know. And so the man finally said, well, you just don't know anything, do you? He said, well, I know one thing for sure. I'm not lost. <laughs> um, the key word here today is no. K-N-O-W. We can know. I'm telling you, this word is there out in front of us for the rest of First John uh, for this week and next week to come. Uh, there are a lot of questions in this world I think people should be asking, uh, and especially the lost people. They should, they should be asking where they came from and who they are, where they're going. They, they should really have those questions right at the top of all the question list. You know, those are important. Uh, is there such a thing as eternal life, or is this it? You know, they should be asking that. Uh, a lot of things people don't know. They don't know things about life. They don't know the things about the universe, the world. They don't know about eternal life. Uh, they're out there just lost. They have no clue. Uh, a lot of them don't care. But I think the very greatest question is: Is do you have eternal life? Uh, how's your How's your soul here? Uh, what's your destiny for your soul? And we know. Because we are Christians, and we believe the Bible, and the Bible tells us we can know for sure, without a doubt, we can answer the question, where am I going? We have the greatest assurance that we could ever have, and it comes from God. So the question is, is do you know? Do you know, um, do you know that you're not lost? Now, we're getting near the end of our first John. We've gone through there pretty quick, really, if you think about it. Not in a matter of years, and uh, we joke about that. But First uh, John uh, was written by John to encourage believers. That's like us. 
2,000 years later even, that we have assurance in our salvation. It is there. And so John wants to convince his readers at that time they can have assurance of salvation, even though there were teachers going around saying, no, you can't, or they were questioning um, their beliefs. And so that's good for people who are Christians that they really need to know they have eternal life. You need to know that. But on the other hand, there's another motive that he has, and it's for people who profess to be Christians who really are not, and they need to examine themselves to see if they're in their faith. So it accomplishes that purpose too, and that maybe they are not. Maybe they're not assured. They don't feel it. They look at Scripture and they say, I don't think that I am. I'm not, I'm not sure. And John says, hey, you need to be sure. You need to, to check this out. So John has been consistent all throughout this epistle. He has constantly laid down a good bottom line, a foundation of what salvation is and how you can know for sure. Uh, So it's certainty that he's really after. Now, we live in a world where we really see hardly anything that's certain. I I don't know if there's anything certain except for God, of course. Because of man's fallenness, I don't believe anything is a sure thing. All you have to do is watch sports. Sometimes when it looks like a team is down, doesn't even have a chance. You know, I mean, like well, the Cardinals during the World Series or, or during the year. I mean, they didn't have a chance in August. Hey, that's pretty cool. That might be a new statement. Not a chance in August. But the next thing you know, they win their division. Uh, they or they they get in the playoffs and win throughout, and then win the World Series when they're not supposed to win that. You know the story. It's kind of cool, you know. Uh, then you see other things like that. People come out of nowhere and they do things. Nothing is for certain, uh, one way or the other. And we can't be absolutely sure. We don't know. We can say, I think, I pretty well know. I think Christians should say, Lord willing, you know, it, it, that this will happen. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be going home today uh, after this and eat lunch. Lord willing, right? Uh, but things can change in a hurry. I mean, just like that. Uh, it's a sinful world. It's a shaky world. And of course, you know, all you have to do is think about the terrorism. And um, even though we don't encounter that on a day-to-day basis like uh, other parts of the world do, we know that it could happen here at any time. It could happen in our... It could happen as far as, uh, let's say, in the the internet world. I mean, that could crash. What what would happen then? Or, or who knows? Bombs could be planted all over uh, the capitals and major cities, major buildings. Uh, we don't know. We don't know what could happen. We know we know it could be. Uh, you'd like to think it's not likely. Uh, the economy, boy, it's shaky, isn't it? There's nothing for sure there. I mean, it can go up and down in, in a moment's time. Uh, people are losing their jobs. People are losing their homes. People are losing everything they own. Nothing is for certain. Businesses are closing up all over this country, all over this world. And some businesses are starting up. Morally, we um, are on a downslide it looks like there's no stopping. We've become a decadent society. We were before, but we're just proving it now. A society uh, that applauds homosexuality, that applauds lesbianism and transvestites and same-sex marriage. You go on and on. Um, abortion. A couple of decades ago, this kind of behavior was looked down upon. Now it's uh, applauded. It's not just accepted, but that's the way it's supposed to be. It's the way it's taught. Um, Political leadership is what I think to be the worst ever this nation has ever experienced. Never known some of the things that have gone on. And that's, that's a fact. How things have changed in our lifetimes. Uh, just within our lifetimes. Quick change. And the further you go back, the more change you can see. But the thing is, is nothing is for certain. We are in a nation that is supposed to be one of the greatest nations in the world, but yet you look at us and we have changed quite drastically. Uh, We're unsure of our health. And the older that we get, the more we experience that. And of course, when you have people that you know and they go into surgery, 
uh, and then and then uh, then another surgery or things that you have to encounter, right? Uh, things just aren't for sure how things will uh, come out as far as how we are health-wise, marriages, family. Uh, there are no guarantees. There are just no guarantees. Nothing is certain, but we know one who is for certain, who is for sure, that is absolute and we can count on it absolutely 100% that God is the one who is in control and we are not and we're thankful that He is. And we can know that. We can know it. Isn't that great? He's constant. He's sure. He is the foundation. He is the rock. He is uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? And so we count on that. And if He's not sure... And if we can't count on Him what He's doing, then we are people most to be sorry for. We're in, we're in dire trouble. We're in dire straits. And if that be the case, but we can know for sure. We can base our whole lives. We can just put everything out there and know that the truths of Scripture are absolute. They're not wrong in any place. No matter what, we can be certain. Thy Word is truth. Jesus said that in John 17, the great prayer. Thy word is truth amongst a people of relativism who believe that their truth is what truth is. But we've talked about that many times. Two subjects we're going to deal with this on this certainty. One of them is eternal life, and the other one is prayer. And uh, you put those two together and say, we can know that we can do this. We know that this is true, that this is real. So John tells us about absolutes. You can say that at our time, right here in this building. We can say that and get away with it. Well, it's not politically correct, is it? But we can know for sure. Exclamation point. Let's get to verse 13. Let's see what he says. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the key verse. First uh, John. If you want to sum up everything, it is found in that verse 13. Um, now, we might ask, uh, what are these things? These things are, are not just what he just finished up with. A lot of times you'll see in Scripture, what did he just say? Well, those are true. I mean, those are, are uh, definitely true. This is a testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. I mean, that's the most important truth. But we can go back all the way back to 1 John and see that everything that he has written are these things. Uh, it's not by experience that we can know for sure that we have eternal life, but it's what? By these things I have written to you. He's inspired by God's Spirit, so he writes this down. And so it's the Word of God that we can know. We can know this. So it's dealing with the whole letter. Look in 1 John right, right off the get-go. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon our hands of handle concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Look at this. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Hey, do you guys have joy today? There is no reason that you should not have joy. If you don't have it, you're missing it. Because it says right here, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And He wrote these things, John did, that we would know we have eternal life and that our joy is full. It's complete. It reaches the max. Wow, that's that's great. Thank you, John. See, he said that he knew Jesus, he saw Jesus, he he heard him, he felt him, uh, he experienced him, and he said, "This is the testimony. We are witnesses. The rest of the apostles are witnesses, and that's what a witness does. They just tell what they saw, heard, and felt. This is the truth. This is what happened. And if you have enough witnesses, two or three, the Bible says, then uh, you have something to confirm with that, as they agree." And then in verse 5 it says, This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you that what? God is light. 
That's a good description of who God is. He's light. And the depth that goes with that is incredible. I don't have enough time. Uh, but he says he has light. He says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, we have our sins forgiven. So we, we can have a fellowship with Christ and we know we have eternal life. We know that God is light. We know that He forgives our sin. Chapter 2, verse 1, we have an advocate when we do sin. Guess what we can do? We look at our lawyer in the court and he's at our defense and he's like in one sense saying, Father, uh, they've already been forgiven because of my work on the cross and you were satisfied with that. Uh, propitiation. Uh, that's what happened. And then uh, we're able to keep His commandments. We're able to love the brethren. Chapter uh, 2, verse 20, But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. You can you can know this, not just experience it or have an idea or guess. It says you know this. Look at this. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. You can know that this is truth, because the Holy Spirit is the anointing. He is residing in you. Look in verse twenty-six, chapter two. These things. Does that sound familiar? Just like our chapter five, verse thirteen. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you or the uh, wolves in sheep clothing right and these false teachers these pre-gnostics that were giving their theology and claiming to be Christians and they were teachers and people were gathering underneath that kind of teaching and he says I'm writing these things that you're going to be able to know he says by the way most of them already left and the reason they left is because they were not of us right and you go into that whole uh, section. But uh, verse 28 in chapter 2 says, when He appears, we can have confidence. We know that. There's no need to fear. Chapter 3, verse 2 says, we're children of God. And in verse 2 says, we shall be like Him. These are just some of the things that John has taught. I think these are incredible. He tells us how we're to live our lives now. He tells us what's going to happen in the future when Christ comes back and there's no need to have fear at the judgment seat. I mean, He gives us an incredible a lot of doctrine in these five chapters that are so practical. And uh, so He keeps talking about confidence and knowing Him. And uh, we have victory. Uh, chapter 5, verse 1, we are born of God. It was Him that caused that new birth. Love has been perfected uh, among us. Chapter 4, verse 17, we are overcomers. Uh, then we, we can know this because three that bear witness, and the uh, uh, Spirit and the water and the blood, the very witness of God, and we have eternal life. Those are some of the things. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Look in John 20, verse 31. In the Gospel of John, he gives a summary of why he wrote that book. Verse 30, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. There we go again. These are written. They're put down. It's the Word of God. It's the Bible. Why are they written, John? Why? What's the reason that you wrote this book, John? You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. There it is. John just sums it all up, puts it right out there on the table, and it's ready to eat. Mm. He prepared it all. He says, that's why I wrote this. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Peter said a great confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Son of the living God. You are God. What a confession. The disciples understood that more and more as time went on. So this is what John is about about believing, about being saved. So, that's pretty important. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, the word know, K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. Weta is the word, and it means an absolute knowledge. Uh, it's, it's, not just an, it's not an experiential knowledge, but it's something that is in your mind that you have for sure. It's an absolute, positive, without a doubt, assurance, in this case, of salvation, of eternal life. Assurance. 
You are assured, absolutely. We have certainties and we have absolutes in the Bible. It's right here. And the world out there is telling you, no, you can't have absolutes because they don't want you to believe the Bible. But we're going against the grain. We're going against the flow because we know this to be true. Okay, now about that word, no. About certainties. The Bible has a lot of things in it that deals with certainties. Let's go through a few scriptures. And and stay in the same chapter just for a moment. Just in this same chapter, and, and, and at the end, following verse 13, look at verse 15. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that ask of Him. Look at verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Verse 19. We know that we are of God. We're not under the tyranny of of the wicked one. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. We know that. Without a doubt. And that, verse 20, we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. So, just in John, how many times did we see the word know? It's from verse 13 through 20. Seven times. And if you really wanted to get busy, you look through the book of 1 John. If you want to read through 1 John one more time, I invite you to and start looking for the word K-N-O-W and circle those no's. And you're going to see it constantly. John is writing so that you may know you have eternal life. He gives us all the evidence. It's all laid out right there. You can know that. We can know. Now, let's go all the way back. Old Testament, Job. Job. Oh, Job, the one who suffered, suffered tremendously. We have never suffered like Job has. I don't think. I don't know of anybody that suffered as much as this. But Job 19.25. Look at this. He was certain for something when he was going through all of this horrible time that he was going through. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know this. He shall stand at last on the earth. He's going to be here. And when it comes at at the very end, He's going to be here. I know that He lives. I know my Redeemer lives. Listen, the resurrection hasn't happened yet. And He says, my Redeemer lives. The death of Christ hasn't happened. Matter of fact, we're talking... We're talking thousands of years possibly before this happened. Before Christ came in the flesh. Now look at verse 26. And after my skin is destroyed, after I die, after this physical body dies, then in my flesh I shall see God. He says, okay, my skin is going to die. My flesh is going to die. But then in my flesh I'm going to see God. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about he's going to resurrect. He's going to have a glorified body. This is Job. And he knew that possibly uh, written somewhere maybe before the flood even, some people say. I think that's fascinating. That he knew this. He knew this. That he would resurrect. And he would see the risen Lord. I think that is amazing. Well, let's see what else Job knew. Look in chapter 42, verse 2 after God has just asked him some really tough questions. Where were you whenever I... <laughs> and he kept doing that. He showed how great he was. He put Job down lower than he ever was before. And he say, boy, God, you're not giving him any self-esteem here. <laughs> That's right. He got him down to the floor. And, and then when that happens, then Job answers God. And he says this, I know that you can do everything. Hey, that sounds simple. But that's very profound. Look at this. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. (laughs) You know what that is, folks? That's the sovereignty of God. He knew the sovereignty of God. Hey, Job was a Calvinist before Calvin. You know, even before Abraham. You know why I say that? He believed in in God's Word. 
he believed truth. He knew God. He knows that God can do anything He wants and no purpose, I mean, His purpose is going to be done and no purpose of of man or anything that they have or man's will is going to thwart that. I think that's a great doctrine. Right there in one verse, you get a great picture of who God is. But yet we as Christians who have so much revelation of that and we even believe it, sometimes we forget We go back to Arminianism. You know, that's one of our big fights in our Christian walk. We go back to the way that man is and we have to be reminded, oh, God is in control here. Even in the worst time of my life? Absolutely. Job said that. I think he had a different view of God than he had before, even though he would have known that. But now he experienced it. Now let's go uh, to the next book over, Psalm 20, verse 6. Do you think the psalm writer knew anything about this? This would be David. He's talking about joy and, and being having salvation. Psalm 20, verse 6, For you have made Him most blessed forever. You have made Him exceedingly... Oh, 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 chapter 21. Great chapter. But we have to go back, Dennis, to back to where we're talking about. Now I know. That's our key word, right? I know that the Lord, Yahweh, saves His anointed. I know that the Lord saves. Dealing with Yeshua, His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving strength of His right hand. I know the Lord saves. David knows that. God is going to save. I know that, David says. Psalm 56, verse 9. When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. God is for me. I know this. Isn't that great? When I cry out to you, I know that you're for me, and I know this is going to work out right. I, I like this Psalm 56 because it's, uh, you know, he had people after him to kill him, and in verse three it says, "Whenever I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. In God I will praise His word. In God I will put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? What can this world do to me? What can man do to me? You know, uh, wow, uh, David got it right." Uh, and he knew it. He just didn't say, I sure hope, God, you can get me out of this. I, I don't want to go through this and just, uh, you know, please, God, you know, I, I don't know if there's a chance, but I hope you can try. He knew. Psalm 119, uh, the longest chapter of the Bible. And in verse 75, says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right. I know whenever you make your judgments, they're right. And that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Oh man, that's did you guys catch that? That's a that's a rather remarkable statement. He was faithful in afflicting David. God was faithful in bringing forth afflictions. I have really uh, troubles really understanding that. But yet God brings along those afflictions for it will make us trust in Him more. Uh, I know that your judgments are right. Your discipline is even right, Lord. Whatever you're doing, it's perfect. And I know it. Psalm 135, verse 5. Sometimes we say, I don't know. Does God really know what He's doing here? (laughs) Right here in verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Simple statement. Little little guys, little ones know this. I know that the Lord is great. God is great. God is good, right? But, boy, when you think about it, even at the worst times, chapter 140, verse 12, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Even when they are being treated very wrongfully and the Lord lets that go on, He says, he is still there for us. And justice will come out in the long run. Let's go to Psalm 19. It's dealing with the Word of God in Psalm 19. Again, like Psalm 119 it was. But 
general revelation in the first six verses and then starting at verse 7 it's dealing with specific revelations. The law of the Lord is perfect. Is perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. It's certain. Making wise the simple. Huh. That's what He does to us. He, he makes us wise because He has become our wisdom. saw on the, the Scripture on the screen earlier there that uh, He is our wisdom. That's the reason we can know all these things. It's supernatural whenever He comes and brings truth to us. It's through Him. It's not just because of our great intellect, is it? Um, in John six sixty nine, here is... John recording what Peter had said. Jesus had fed the 5,000 and the next day everybody is out after Him and they all want to be fed. Man, they want to follow this guy. This is the conqueror. This is the great one. And then Jesus tells him what He's really about. He tells him you have to partake of Me. That's what this is about. We're not talking about just the physical food, but you have to eat of Me. And uh, people started leaving. Matter of fact, he gave a sovereign grace statement in 65. He said, Therefore I have said to you that no one, I mean no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. Uh, like that verse. He repeated what he had said earlier in verse 44. Um, dropping down. You know, this is when people leave. From that time, many of his disciples, not the twelve, but they went back and walked with him no more. <laughs> they just realized what he was saying. Um, Jesus says, well, do you guys want to go away too? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of... John wrote this, but you remember what Peter had said, eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Here we go, verse 6 and 9. Also, we have come to believe and know what? That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Huh. There we go. There we go. John 16, verse 30. Oh, we can know these things. Verse 30. Now, we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. That's what the disciples are saying. We know who you are. We know you came from God. We know these things. You taught us. Look in Hebrews chapter 6. We're looking at several sources here just to uh, make sure that God is consistent in this we can know thing. 6.19 This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest, Forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Wow. That is right. Can we say amen to that? We know this. He is our high priest. He's interceding even for us today. Even right now as we worship Him. He's interceding. And we know that we have that. That is sure and it's steadfast. Without a doubt, 100%. I can... Count on that better than I can that uh, I know that I'm going to go home today and then go to work tomorrow. I know for sure something even more sure than that. This. Wow. Second Peter chapter 1, 19. Boy, we have been graced, folks. God could have just saved us and left us hanging out there and not really know much of anything. He could have done that. But no, He lets us in he wants us to know Him as much as we possibly can. Second, And so He gave the Word of God to us. And it says in verse 19, So we have the prophetic Word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first. Here's what you know. Here's what you know. That no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Men, the apostles, didn't just write this down because, hey, this is what I think it means here. This is what it means to me. You, know, you ever sit around in the uh, in Bible studies 
and, and where people really haven't really studied the Word of God and they're just there. Hey, what's that mean to you? This means to me. I think this means to me. And they pool their ignorance rather than really giving you Scripture. And now you have all of a sudden, well, this guy over here says this, this guy says this, and man, these are totally opposites. Have you ever set any kind of Bible studies on that? I used to all the time. So what it was all about. You go, man, this is mass confusion. This is what I think. I don't care what you think. I really don't. And you guys really shouldn't care what I think. What we really want to care about is, well, what does God say? And the Word of God is saying here, prophecy or the Word of God that came to these prophets never came by the will of man. Aren't you glad of that? They just didn't write this down on their own. Even though it's not automatic writing, it's the Spirit of God using their personalities, this is incredible, uses that, the, the divine, with the human, and they put together what they would have written in their personality, but yet it's totally inspired by God. It's not something they would have written on their own. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We can know that. And so as we... Teach, preach this word, read this word, study this word. Every word that we're reading, we can be assured that this is right, this is true. And I don't have to be worrying about, yeah, man wrote this and man wrote that. 2 Timothy 1.12 The reason I'm doing this, I'm going through so many scriptures, is because, well, I'll tell you in a moment why. 2 Timothy 1.12 For this reason... I also suffer these things. Now, Timothy, uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, I suffer these things. He doesn't say, I've written these things. I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know, you got to like this, whom I have believed and am persuaded that He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. Paul says, I know that. I believe it. I'm persuaded. And He has the power. That's a power word there. Able to keep what I've committed. This Word of God and keep souls. The whole purpose that God has. And So anyway, we have that written before us. All these things we can be certain. I know. I know. It's absolute knowledge. John wants them to know. They can be absolutely sure. It's not about hoping. It's not about guessing. Uh, or kind of knowing. It's not hazy. It's not vague. It's as sharp as can be. A Christian should know what he believes and why he believes it. We should be able to answer, as Peter says, any question that somebody has about Christ and what salvation is, some of the basic things about eternal life, to be able to give them a reason, apologia, be able to give them an answer. A defense of the faith. So that is the idea. We we know this. We we know it's absolutely true, and we know his work at Calvary was backed up by resurrection power. The faith of God in the Bible is something we can know about. It transcends any other kind of faith. So why do we have these words? I can know. I know these. Well, the cults, all the cults. All the other religions of the world, they can't give you certainty about anything. They have no certainty. They may claim some, but there is no assurance. You have to keep doing because all other um, beliefs are not based upon grace at all. Sum them all up. Take the Eastern religions. Take the cults. Put them together. And they're really saying, here's what I have to do. It's nothing else than getting into nirvana. I have to empty my... I have to do something. It's never by grace or grace alone. And that's what separates our belief from everybody else. And we never should be ashamed of it. And uh, politically, it's wrong to say that. And uh, I've even seen in in our Christian bookstore where um, I've had books or something dealing with um, there's only one way. Christ is the only way. Where it actually upset some people who came from churches and said, well, you can't really say that because God can save other people. God can save other people that are in other religions. I said, yeah, yeah, He can save. But if they're trusting in anything else, they're not going to get to heaven. Right? He is the only way. And so, therefore, you get into that realm. Well, I want to tell you something. Even in the evangelical church, 
church of our day and has been for hundreds of years. This is why we went through all of these statements. We can know. We can know. We can know that we have eternal life. What's really sad that in the Christian realm, at least half the denominations, I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know if it's half or not. Well, you, I don't even know how many there really are. I mean, does anybody really know? I mean, it just keeps dividing and dividing. But you can get a book on the denominations of, of the world according to 2011 or whatever. Um, I think Mead is, is uh, the editors of one. Um, but just go and look at their doctrine on this. And I'm going to name some of these denominations. And I'm not trying to make fun of them or make light of them or try to you know, make them look bad. I'm just saying this is fact. This is their doctrine and they would not disagree with me. These particular ones would say that you can't know that you are going to go to heaven. Yeah, you're a Christian now, but you can walk away from God. That you would. Who does that? Well, take any Pentecostal church. Uh, any Pentecostal church that I know of will say you can lose your salvation. Ultimately, it's going to. They say, yeah, uh, God keeps you, but you can make your own decision to walk away. Uh, Methodist. From what I know of, um, believe in a works-based keeping your salvation. They don't believe that you can have eternal life. Lutherans, I have asked many what what their belief is on losing salvation, and they, you know, I ask, can you lose salvation according to your beliefs? They say yes, you can. But in all fairness, I have asked them. I said, well, then can the elect, which you believe in? going back to Martin Luther and say, well, here's what election, and using one of his best books, or he claims to be his best work that he had, Bondage of the Will. And if he said certain statements, and and, and my understanding, I don't believe that he ever really said that you could lose your salvation. But as far as election is concerned, do you believe in election? They'll say yes. Okay, can the elect lose their salvation? And they say no. I said, okay, you're saying people can lose salvation, but the elect can't lose salvation. Well, if somebody had salvation beforehand, how can they lose it? And then they say, well, that's a mystery. So that's frustrating. But ultimately, they say you can lose your salvation. That's the babies who have been baptized, which is a washing of their sins, ultimately. And so let's go through with it. Let's think about it. Let's go through the Scripture. Let's think about it. And that, that actually is a, a new birth. So they have to make room for losing salvation. Am I getting on to the Lutherans? No. I, I'm trying to represent what they believe. And if that's what the truth is, I have difficulty when I read all of these Scriptures. I read First John, and then I understand that that's their theology. That is incredibly bad. It's filthy bad because it doubts the very character and nature of who God is. Do you understand? I think it's, I think it's serious. The Nazarenes don't believe that you can know you have eternal life. You can lose it. Uh, Christian churches, from what I understand, all the Christian churches. Um, when I say Christian, I'm not talking about... And they say they're not a denomination, but that's the Christian church. First Christian church or... Um, other Christian churches that we know of here in town that's really a denomination. Church of Christ, which is related to the Christian churches, also believe that you can lose salvation. That's a few of the denominations. And I'm not trying to stretch some truth. I'm just saying if that's what they believe, they believe, okay, here's where we differ. We differ very seriously from them. Uh, They just don't believe in knowing for sure. And of course, I have to be fair here, the Roman Catholic Church, after the Protestant Reformation, they had a council, a Council of Trent. I'm putting out facts, not trying to ram anybody down. But they met in three sessions from 1545 to 1564. It declared in 1547, and they have not changed yet. In its decrees concerning justification, I'm going to quote, except by special revelation, it cannot be known whom God has chosen to Himself, if anyone says that He will be certain with an absolute and infallible certainty, now that's what we've been talking about, we're saying that, to have the great gift of perseverance even to the end, those people, unless He shall learn this by special revelation outside Scripture, that being a dream or a vision, let Him be 
anathema. Let him be cut off. Let him be accursed. That's what the Roman Catholic Church says. That we, who have just made this claim according to Scripture, that we really should be cut off. We should be anathema. Now, I can't forget about that. Uh, that's why Reformation theology changed a lot of those things. It's drastic. When you look at Scripture, we, we looked at a lot of those Scriptures, didn't we? And to me, it's absolute certain. I, and we look at just First John and I go, how can people, this many people professing to be Christians, who many of them are, what, despite the denomination... <coughs> and their view on, on this doctrine. But I think it questions the very character of God. I think it's a serious one. And that's why I have talked to people who believe they could lose salvation. They'll say, oh, I don't believe in the once saved, always saved. Well, I don't like the terminology because I know it's just thrown out there. What it means is that you can be saved. He's not Lord of your life. You can live the way that you want, but as long as you walk the aisle, you joined uh, the church and said a prayer, uh, then, then you're saved. And you're saved. Nothing can happen to you. You're, you're saved forever. Well, you are saved forever if you're really saved. So that's the point. Were you saved in the first place? And I'll finally pinpoint them down and say, what if they were really truly saved? And God saved them right there. I said, right, do you still believe in losing salvation? I think about it. Most of them will say, yeah, but you can... You, it's eternal life. I say, well, how long is eternal life? Well, you can walk away. You can decide to walk away. What about the power that God has that keeps us? Yes, I would walk away. If it was up to my own choice, I would walk away. But it says in Scripture that He keeps me. So I have to look at Scripture and say, I don't care what that man or that whole church that is accepted worldwide says. I don't believe it. I'm going to believe what this says, and it's not just once or twice or three times or four times. It says it hundreds of times in here. <laughs> I know I'm getting on some uh, denominations, but it frustrates me because this is without a doubt a certain. John wrote this, he just kept saying it one way and another and another and another and another, just building upon it. Eternal life, what is eternal life then? These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. It means living forever with God. It means not that just. A, a quantity of life, how long it's going to last, even though, you know, and it, that means eternal, so it'll go on forever. It, it, and it does mean that, but much more. We're talking a quality of life. We're talking about the God kind of life. Zoe, uh, the life of, of God. The life of God, eternal life, forever with Him, uh, totally being satisfied. He is holy, He is pure, He is righteous and good, and we are content in Him, uh, that be fulfilled. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding and that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true in His Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Jesus Christ Himself is eternal life. He is life. John 17, 3. He says, Lord, glorify me as I was before. And in this great intercessory prayer, one of the greatest chapters in all the Bible, because we happen to be there at the moment. And this is eternal life that they may know You, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. This is eternal life. What? Knowing Him. Knowing Him. God and Christ are eternal life. Eternal life is a life that lacks nothing. It wants nothing. It seeks nothing else. It misses nothing. Eternal life desires nothing else than what it has, which is God's life in us. We possess the very life of God in us. We are not God, but His life resides in us. I think of uh, Peter when he brought that forth. Or in verses 11 and 12 here in 1 first, first John 5, when he's talking about the life that's in His Son. That is life. So it's already been tran- transmitted to us. 
Eternal life is not going to start whenever we die and then we uh, get our glorified bodies or our spirit goes to be of the Lord. We have already begun the eternal life the moment that we are converted. We already are in it. Now there will be a transformation of a new body. And He's transforming us, our new beings. He, he, he is changing us. But there will be a time when that will be complete. And we're like a um, kind of like a light. Uh, there's a light on in, in this light bulb. But um, you ever seen cars? My car is that way. The headlights. There's a there's light there, and it's coming out. It's good enough to drive in the dark. Uh, when you have your brights on, and it doesn't blind anybody. When you have brights on, you know what that. Uh, that substance, that filmy substance, whatever it is, comes on the inside or whatever on those headlights. You ever seen that? It's real kind of hazy. And that's kind of the way we are sometimes. We're light and sometimes it looks like, is that light even on? There's something there. A little glow, but I, I can't tell. Uh, anyway, that's the way that we probably look to the world a lot. Uh, but we're there. The light's on. Kind of hazy. Uh, we're kind of dim. I want to tell you something though. The whole essential nature of the triune God lives in us. Christ lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Uh, It's a massive miracle what God has done. He's come into our lives. He's changed us. And we have unimaginable privileges in this eternal life that we've already entered into. We possess eternal life. Folks, have you thought about that today? We possess it right now. We have the God life in us. Unbelievable. But yet we believe it. Because that's what he says. These things I've written you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, that's something we can be certain about. I am not ashamed to go up to somebody and tell them you can know you have eternal life. I remember talking to... um, a brother-in-law and a sister-in-law, or a sister of, of Carolyn's, back many years ago. And in their belief, in Roman Catholic faith, they said, well, you can't know that you have eternal life. I said, that's funny. You just quoted something opposite of what it says in the Bible. It says, you can know you have eternal life. And so, you know, automatically, you, I, I get the Bible out and say, yeah, see, this is what John says here. You can know that. Oh no, nobody can know that. Well, then did God make a mistake when He wrote it? Nobody can know. Nobody can know. You maybe think you know right now, but you can't know until you're at the judgment seat. That's sad. I mean, that is really scary. It's going to be up to you. Do you see the work salvation that's based on that? It's going. God got me saved, but. And I, but I do this and I do that and I've got to keep doing these things and if I don't, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. So we are to believe in the name of the Son of God you have eternal life. Okay, the next one we have for certainty found in verse 14. And this is why, as I look at my watch, why I cut it at verse 14 because verse 15 goes right along with 14. But I didn't want to cut too quick. So. Actually, they kind of go together, but... I, we're talking about certainty of eternal life. Well, this only makes sense. Um, as you have eternal life, you have struggles right now in your eternal life that's going. You can say, boy, it sure doesn't feel like eternal life. I mean, uh, the turmoil, sadness. What's, you know, all that's in my life right now. I don't feel anything certain. You know, this is incredible, this battle that I have. Because I don't even believe that. Sometimes God even hears my prayer. I don't even believe that God answers. I haven't seen any answer. I haven't heard any answer. But yet, what does He say here? Now, this is the confidence that we have in Him, not in us, if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's pretty, that's pretty good, isn't it? And we've read this. Boy, we heard this over and over and over all throughout Scripture. We can have great confidence. Confidence. To go into the throne room before God. Confidence here means a freedom of speech. 
It's a confidence that you can go in and be bold before God. And at the same time, be reverent. But we can be bold toward Him, in Him. Uh, 1 John 3.21 He mentions confidence here. 1 John 3.21 Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, if we've checked our hearts and such and we know that we're in Christ, if, that, if we're not condemned, we have confidence toward God. And guess what He says in verse 22? And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. That sounds familiar with what's happening in 1 John 5, doesn't it? Do you believe Him? If you have real confidence... You know that it doesn't. Look at Hebrews 4.16. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly or with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You need that grace for that specific moment that you're dealing with. The mercy, the grace that is there. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is new every morning. Are you, are you understanding His grace here today? It's, it's all about Christ. We, um, we don't depend upon our performance whatsoever. We depend totally upon His grace and then we know because of that we come boldly. What confidence that He puts forth there. We're, as long as we're praying what God wills, we might ask, well, does He pay attention to my prayers though? I mean, does that really happen? I, I just don't know if it goes past the ceiling here. Do we have the certainty of answered prayer? Well, Charles Spurgeon, and you have to be careful with the statements sometimes like this, but and I know what some people can do with it. He says, we have a blank check. Anything on the bank of His will, we can ask. <laughs> The bank of the Father's will. <laughs> that's what we can write out. The qualifier is what? His will. And that's what our lives are about anyway. His will. His will be done. It's being consistent with who He is. Not what we selfishly want, but who God is. When a believer prays in the name of Christ, what he's saying like in the name of your Son, in the name of Christ we pray, in the name of Jesus we pray, they're saying, hey, whatever Jesus would ask, that's what I'm asking. If, if we know that Jesus would ask this to His Father, then we want to ask that. If it's something that's questionable and we're saying, I'm not so sure that Jesus would ask this prayer to the Father, then maybe we need to rethink what we're, we're praying about. Um, God has obligated Himself to answer us as we are praying to uh, for His will. Uh, I think we come to verses like this here in 1 John. I think it's so blatantly obvious. Um, but sometimes we just can't believe it. I think you have to stagger at this. That He would actually say this and say it over and over and over and over. This is the confidence that we have in Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Anything. 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 I can't accept that. My humanness does not want to accept that. I just don't I just don't see that. I, I how can God of the universe do this? Um, John is saying here in first John, and he's already said it before, he's saying the same thing that his Lord said as he walked with him, that Jesus said just like this. Whatever you ask Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus said that. Look in John 15, verse 7. This is the promise of the ages. Just, I still don't grasp it. I really don't. I'll be honest with you. I really don't. I don't get it all. I don't, I don't get it. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, you remain in me, stick around, and my words abide in you, to live in you. Uh, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. You're going to show this. If you're really truly of His, then you're going to ask what you desire. What do you desire? Well, you desire what the Lord desires. Ah. How about 15, 16? 
You did not choose me. Oh, I love this. I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give you. Hey guys, I'm leaving. I'm going to be leaving the Holy Spirit with you. And you're going to be able to communicate with the Father. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to cut out. But I want to tell you, you can ask in My name. And it's okay. Because the Father will say, yes, approved. And matter of fact, He, he commanded that. These things I command you, that you love one another. Be, be, be praying and then be loving one another. Chapter 16, verse 23. And in that day you will ask me nothing. I'm not going to be around here. You're not going to ask me personally uh, as I'm walking here. But most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, <laughs> whatever, He'll give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. You haven't been doing that way because I haven't left yet. And you will receive that your joy may be full. If you ask what Jesus would ask, He's going to answer that every time. Incredible. John 14, 13 and 14. John 14. He just didn't say it once or twice. He kept saying it because He wanted to make sure they understood what He said. And whatever you ask in My name, in My authority, that I will do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. He says, the reason I'm saying this is that when you ask, then God's going to be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. He just he says it again. If you ask anything, I like the way that Alistair Begg says that. Anything. Anything. He says that a lot. You ever heard him say that? Anything. Anything. Uh, Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourselves in the Lord. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Oh, just discovered something. Delight. Enjoy. Have fun. Man, enjoy life. It's incredible. It's great. Delight yourself in the Lord. It's not anything set aside from Him. And He will give you... The desires of your heart. Do you desire God? Uh, one of the books that made a huge impact on me many years ago. It's called Desiring God by John Piper. Uh, just blew me away. Because I'd never really heard it the way that he put it. And it meant that the things that you desire, if if you are anchored on who Christ is, then the desires that come to you, if you're testimony Scripture, are going to be the things that He has put in you. It's Your desires are now His desires. Isn't that what it is about lining up with God's will? So yes, ask Him anything that would be according to His Word, His truth, the Father's will. That's what Jesus did. That's all He did. I came here to do the Father's will. And if you ask Him anything in that, you know you're always going to be safe. You know the prayer is going to be answered. It's going to be done. It's going to be fulfilled. And He says that. He he does not lie. Not only praying according to God's will, but living according to God's will is part of that. But here's the key. It's after our desires have become His will, after we are abiding with Him in His presence, we get into this fellowship that John talks about. And what a pleasure it is. God has pleasure and He invites you to come in and drink of the water from the fount, O fount of love, and just take it in. Just keep taking it in. You don't even have to pump up that. It's there. It's flowing out. It's a spring of life. Of this water. Water of the Word. And he answers. Scotty Smith said God answers this way. Yes. And then the next one is, I've always been taught, no. Scotty Smith added this. I thought it was pretty good. No, and you will be glad later. <laughs> Yes, no, no, you don't want that. Or, trust me, is a third one. And, 
trust me whenever I am silent. And then also, not yet. A lot of times it's not yet. What does our will say? Yes, now. (laughs) And that's our flesh. That's what we battle with. I guarantee you, God will always answer. Yes, no, and you will be glad. Not yet. Trust me even when I don't speak. And that's a lot of our lives. A lot of times we don't hear, we don't feel, we don't see it happening. But He answers. Wow. God knows your need before you ask. But at the very moment of your asking, and there are qualifications, but I want you to grab the weight of this. God answers. He answers immediately. You say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. What do you mean immediately? It can be years, maybe, because you just said, "Well, you know, well, there's a waiting here, you know, uh, not not yet." I, I don't know. I, I just can't. I don't know if I can believe this. I know it's hard, but if you go back to the Old Testament, you think of Daniel. I'm not going to have enough time to do the whole story there, but Daniel was praying to God, and and Daniel 10, just 12 and 13 there. Uh, it's really revolving some things are going to happen in the future and Daniel's trying to line up with God's will and uh, how he's going to deliver Israel. Daniel 10, verse 12. Daniel was a praying man. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God. On that first day you started praying. Your words were heard. And I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the king of Persia. Kings of Persia. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. But here he's saying, Hey, I already heard you. I answered it. But now I'm coming. This is like three weeks later. You can say, Oh, I only wish I could get my answer in three weeks. Uh, he answers. He answers me. He knows before we're even going to ask. You can be confident when we pray according to God's will. We have what we ask. And if you really start thinking about it, think about what you just, if you ate breakfast this morning, uh, if you were, if you had clothes, if you had a house, all those things that are obvious, and go, oh, yeah, I don't even think about that. Well, it's part of the Lord's prayer, you know. Yeah. All of our needs. Give me this day our daily bread. Uh, that includes just everything. He meets all of those. Sometimes we don't even pray about it and the Holy Spirit's interceding for us. There are other things that we're praying and he says, okay. And, uh, okay. Just realize that He's, he's answering. Uh, we will see it in time. It will be done the way, that, uh, the way that He wants. Prayer is asking God for things which He has promised to give. So He says, amazing. He does answer. He'll always do it. Just keep trusting Him even when you don't see the answer. Let's pray.